You're listening to the No Name Photo Show. It's not spouse approved. It may or may not be safe for work. We'll see. And now here's your host, Brian Matias, and me, Sharky James. So, Brian, here we are, episode 37. Sharky, we have septentrition tuppled, our episode output. Wow. And it's not even September. Crazy. No. I think I've used that one before, but it's a greatest hit. Uh, every time we hit one of the sevens, you're probably going to say that. Probably. It's something to look forward to. So why don't you tell us what's on today's show, Brian? Yes, sir. All right. So, Sharky, recently there was a ridiculous court ruling uh, that has to do with copyright for photographers and what constitutes as fair use with regards to photos that were found on the internet. We're going to talk about this. Odds are people who've listened to this episode hopefully have heard about this story and are as equally enraged as we are. But it's not all bad because a few days after this story broke, another court ruling story came out where a judge ruled that photographers can actually sue states or universities, state universities that are claiming sovereign immunity. We'll talk about that. And then the second half of this uh, show is going to be about essentially, basically, and there are certain themes, overarching themes, I think, Sharky, to the stories that we talk about. One of them is stupid photographers doing stupid things. And in this case here, uh, we're going to talk about some situations where photographers who just don't think that the rules apply to them based off of an article that I saw at DIYphotography.net. And then that will kind of dovetail into kind of a more, a sad, more tragic uh, story with some Insta-famous travel vloggers who fell to their deaths recently while trying to enjoy nature, I guess, doing it for the gram. Uh, So we'll talk about that. Hey, how have you been, Brian? I've been okay, Sharky. Wow, I think it's the first time you've asked me that. What's going on? Are you okay? Are you feeling okay? Never. I thought I'd just throw that in there so you couldn't. Because why not? Well, yeah. I'm, I mean, I'm excited. You know, we're, we're just about done packing and going to be moving to Oregon, but we'll talk about that even later. Sounds good. Hey, why don't you take us into the first topic? I can't wait. Yeah, yeah. Let's do that, Sharky. So, all right. Here's, here's basically the premise. Imagine, Sharky, you find a festival, you know, a company that's promoting a festival on their website. They lifted one of your photos that you shared online. And they're using it to promote your event. So you kind of do what you would, you know, what I think anyone would expect you to do, right? You would kind of file a cease and desist letter to start and then take it from there. So imagine Sharky. Let's say you did that. You went through the process. You sent your cease and desist. And instead of the event company taking it down, you actually end up going to sue the company for copyright infringement because they're responding that they're claiming fair use. So break it down for me, Sharky. Are you telling me that if I'm a company, I'm an organization, and I just saw on your photos, I'm like, you know what? I want to use that to promote one of my events. I'm just going to take it, and I'm going to argue fair use. What are your thoughts here on that? I think that's so ridiculous. I mean, if you've got money to promote your festival, right, and you've got money for all the other stuff that goes along with it, the photographer should get paid, especially if you're, let's think about this way. You're using that image to help get people to come, right? You're wanting them to be like, wow, okay, that looks, that's a cool looking venue. That looks like a great time right there. You know, that has value. So you should pay, you know? And so if I saw a photo of mine used like that, I would send a cease and desist letter 
I would send, in addition to that, a properly formatted DMCA takedown notice to them and their host. And I think that would have taken care of it right there. That would have got rid of it because if they didn't take it down, then their host would have. And it wouldn't even have gotten to the court thing. They would have just been like, oh, this is just, we don't want to deal with this nonsense. But I don't think he did that. Well, so here, here's what happened just to give people a little bit of backstory. So there's a photographer. His name is Russell Brammer. And he found one of his photos. It's a night photo taken in, at a neighborhood in Washington, D.C. And a company called Northern Virginia Film Festival essentially lifted the photo and cropped it and used it on one of their websites uh, promoting things to do in D.C., so Brammer, that, at that point, he sent a cease and desist letter and the company took it down, but then he ended up suing the company for copyright infringement. And that's when the company responded with claiming fair use. So the company took it down. I get that. I'm not sure what prompted the photographer to then issue a lawsuit. It's totally within his rights, of course. But where things go weird is when the company responds by no, it's we're, we're we're claiming fair use. So before we go into the actual court opinion, the fact that the court ruled with the company, which opens up all sorts of potential issues for photographers and creatives, the thing that totally confuses me is that it was the company. It was self evident by virtue of the fact that the company immediately took down the photo. So they took down the photo. The photographer sues, and then they say, "No, it was fair use." If it was fair use, they wouldn't have taken it down and. To begin with, right? They would have argued fair use right away. I mean, that's what we in the law profession, which I'm not in, call, you know, I don't know, some kind of evidence of your guilt, right? It's something like that. Whatever, whatever the lawyer term is, think of that right now. Right. All right. It's that word, that or term. It's that what that is. It would show that they felt guilty about it, right? And this whole fair use claim, I would say, in my opinion, they came up with that after they took it down. They didn't have they didn't go looking for photos online and and you know maybe creative commons photos that were available for use etc. They just did a Google search. They found a really nice photo that they thought would help promote what they were doing. They took it. They were caught. They took it down and then they're like, "Wait a second. We just learned about this thing called fair use. Let's argue that." Yeah, so let's just take a look really quickly before we go into the opinion. We'll talk about what constitutes fair use because there is there is a legal cause for fair use in certain situations and you're right Chucky there are four factors there's purpose and character of the use including whether it's transformative and commercial versus non-commercial which i think is a key second one is the nature of the copyright work third is how much of the work was used so if an entire photo did you only use like a few pixels and then four how much of the use affects the market and or value of the work which is also very important so here's where things go completely sideways. Given these four factors, District Judge Claude M. Hilton of Eastern District of Virginia actually sided with the company's claim of fair use. And we're going to link to this particular post in the show notes at nonamephotoshow.com. And I recommend everyone go and click on that article at Petapixel because they did a really great job of putting snippets of every single opinion with regards to these four factors for fair use. And when you read them, if you're like me and I assume like Sharky, your blood starts to boil. And ultimately it says, because each of the four fair use factors favors Violent Hughes, which is the, the event company, the court finds that Violent Hughes use was a fair use and that there was no copyright infringement. So essentially what it's saying, based on if you take 
Sharky, the, the details of the, these opinions, you can argue, it makes a very, very hard argument where any company can lift an image that's posted online and argue that's fair use. And I can tell you that the response has been swift and brutal. But Sharky, tell me your thoughts. This is going to be challenged legally because if this is allowed to stand, this is a problem for content creators, not just photographers, but anyone who draws, paints, whatever, video producers. This is a really unwise decision. It makes me wonder if the judge has much you know, experience with IP, you know, intellectual property concerns, etc., because this was just a crazy, crazy decision. Otherwise, you know, why even create stuff if people can just take it and promote their things because? Yeah, and I think this is this is a very, very important story to follow. And I agree with you. I, I highly expect it to get appealed. And the good news is that with respect to the reaction to the ruling, there are a bunch of notable legal professionals who have voiced their opinion in that Petapixel article. Stephen Carlisle, who's the copyright officer at Nova Southeastern University, he wrote a, and I, I read it, a really long rebuttal, which is great. But specifically, he says that this June 11th, 2018 ruling has the potential to seriously erode the copyright protections afforded photographers. The court ignores key components of the Copyright Act, disregards readily apparent facts, and once again totally botches the transformative use test. And here's the point, and this is always difficult when you put the interpretation of creative works in the hands of someone who doesn't either really understand it or appreciate it is that their interpretation can be completely botched and as a result have damning effects. And so this is where I I do believe that there should be some serious scrutiny for these kinds of rulings because they have the potential of opening up some major, major floodgates. Not only that, if you're just whoever and you have a website and you're taking someone's photos, like you say, you don't necessarily know. You're not an expert in the law. So you could get sued. Just if you use someone else's photo and you don't get permission, you're opening yourself up to being sued and saying it's fair use or it's education or whatever. It That might be your opinion and that might be in the law, kind of, sort of, but it's the kind of, sort of part, you know, the details of that, the devil's in the details, as they say, you're probably going to get sued and it's going to cost a whole lot of money. So I would just shut, you know, people should shy away from that. But people just going back to the beginning of the Internet, it's like, well, there it is. I'll take it. Yeah. But, you know, I, and I still go back and the, to this sentiment, you know, it's 2018. How is this happening? That's going to be applicable to this story and to our following stories. But I don't understand how this kind of stuff still happens where in a commercial setting, whether, you know, you're an event organizer or you're a commercial company where you don't already understand the importance and the fact that you can't just take an image just because it's on the internet and you can right-click and save it to your desktop does not make it yours, does not make it like that you could use it. And fortunately, you know, I want to segue into the second kind of half of this first story, a, a different direction. So a situation here, Sharky, where a university essentially just lifted a photo and used it as part of a variety of ad campaigns and stuff. When the photographer, you know, wised up to the fact that the university or the college was using the photo without any sort of permission or payment or credit, he invoiced them what he considered to be his market value, which was 
uh, about $25,000 on top of the $16,000 for their own use of the image. The college came back and argued its use of sovereign immunity, which is complete garbage. And so for those that don't know what sovereign immunity is, uh, it's a legal principle that protects the state and its affiliates from lawsuits, including copyright disputes, which is to me, just because you're a state run or state owned organization or an institution does not absolve you from these kinds of short-sighted and and arguably illegal practices. So the story here, Sharky, is that recently a judge ruled that, uh, so there was a photographer, his name is Jim Olive, and like I mentioned, he found that the University of Houston C.T. Bauer College of Business was using one of his aerial photos, and not just in their ads, but also as part of an ad program with Forbes magazine, they picked up the advert, the image with the advert. And when the photographer, Jim Olive, went to invoice them, they returned back with this sovereign immunity crap. The great thing here is that there was a new ruling by the state district court judge, Carolyn Baker, in Harris County. And she sees that the university's claim is to be thrown out, which I think is great news. I mean, what do you think? I think that this is a bunch of craziness. I, you know, I want to say first, all of his photography, right? All, all of his photography. Get it? All right. My, my kids taught me that one. Dad joke. Well, I guess that's a kid joke first off. But uh, this whole situation stupid. You know, just because you're a state entity or whatever doesn't mean you can just go and, and break the law and screw photographers over. Now, we want to keep our clean rating here. So. You know, I'm just going to say this was a really Richard move, if you know what I'm saying, right? That was just not cool. A, you don't want to do things that's going to cause trouble and get you out there in the news and make you look bad. And come on, they have budgets, right? They have huge budgets. Why can't they pay for photography? Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And they just decided to go for it. And I don't even think, like with that other story, I don't think they were thinking this sovereign whatever nonsense immunity I think they were thinking, oh, there's a nice photo. Take. Yeah. I mean, it, it really makes you question who's involved in the organization, whether it's this university or any company in their kind of marketing and media departments. You know, are these people just so not savvy where they feel like you said, like, oh, it's there. Just take it. The thing that is to, to point out is that this is not a final, final ruling. In fact, Unfortunately, a spokesman for the university revealed that they're actually planning on appealing Judge Baker's ruling, which is, to me, is baffling. Like this college, this university is actively working on doing whatever it can to avoid paying for the, the use of an image that they lifted without proper license. And they're just going to go to town with it. And to me, this, this just says no, it's a novel of what it says about this particular university. So they're willing to put resources into suing, but not into paying the photographer as they should in the first place. Or are they trying to set a, pe- a precedent for their own university so they can do this at will in the future? What are they trying to do? It makes them look like huge Richards, if you know what I'm saying. Absolutely. So, Sharky, let's move on to our second story. Were you going to say something? I was going to say before we get to that, we should mention that, like you said before, you're moving to Portland. My family's coming into town. It's crazy. I need to catch up on my podcast. So we're going to do a staggered thing here. We're going to go maybe like every other week or so with the show for a couple of episodes before we get back on track. And, you know, people are on vacation and all that. So we just wanted to put that out there. 
we're not going away. It looked like we were going away there for a second because it was like, what, six weeks or so, our little right. hiatus there. But it's not going to be nearly that long this time. So anyhow, go ahead with your with a second topic, please. Sure. Yeah. So everyone just, just know that that's the case. Uh, we're still very much here. So second topic, Sharky. This is, again, just kind of a broad topic talking about photographers who think the rules don't apply to them. And it stems off of a post I read recently on DIYphotography.net where they started the, the initial premise of the story was, I guess this, there was this historic plantation in Louisville, Kentucky, and they issued several uh, years ago a statement. They used to have this like, the beautiful structure and people were allowed to go there and enjoy the property. But unfortunately, they made a post on their Facebook page saying that they were implementing a ban on photography sessions on our site. We are first and foremost a historic site, not a photography studio. Many photographers have been deliberately disregarding our site rules, moving benches, photographing in areas that are off limits, showing up and refusing to leave when the site is closed. Until we can guarantee that the photographers we allow on site will be courteous and respectful, we've had to take this course of action. So I read this, Sharky, and I just go nuts. And, and But then again, am I really surprised? Like, Are you actually surprised that there are these kinds of photographers out there in 2018? Not at all. This stuff it just makes you... And me crazy. If you had any hair, it would be on fire right now. Totally. Seriously. It's just, this is why we can't have nice things, as mom says, right? As more and more people get into photography, and also, you know, everyone's got a camera in their pocket via their smartphone. They want better selfies. They want better photos in general. And they think it's okay to just move stuff around. And it's not. You ruin things for the rest of us who want to be able to use these locations to either do photo shoots or, you know, take nice pictures. But now you've made it so all photographers cannot shoot at that location. Again, another Richard move. Yeah, I mean, and, and I am, I'm going to put be straight out there. I'm, I am conflicted to a certain degree because I love Urbex photography. I love, and what for those that don't know, Urbex is urban exploration photography. Typically, these are the photos of uh, you know, completely bombed out, abandoned buildings that are all but destroyed. But you're not moving the dead bodies. No, I'm not doing it. We're not destroying anything, <laughs> meaning I won't cut. If, there's a, if we go to a place and there's a chain link fence and it's locked up, I, will I would never, ever cut the chain link fence. I would never cut a lock. It's just one of those things where, and mostly my, most of my uh, urbex exploration has been done in Detroit. And there, I mean, you, you can throw a stone and hit an abandoned area. And that, I mean, for better or worse, I guess it's for worse, but there are so many abandoned structures that are just, you can just walk right into them. So it's not hard. With that said, I would never go into a place and, oh, I don't like that particular thing. So I'm going to move it or I'm going to just, you know, toss it out. And sadly, you know, there's a, there's a, a hashtag on Instagram, hashtag doing it for the gram where people are just doing these things just so they can get on Instagram and get their likes. And this is just, it's soul sucking. The fact that these stories keep coming and it's like, it almost as if these photographers try to outdo themselves. I saw one just the other day, Sharky at one of the slot canyons, I think in Arizona and someone actually etched into the sandstone, like their hashtag and not their hashtag, their screen name, their Instagram screen name. Of course they got doxxed. And it's just, it's bad news for everyone because like you said, every photographer going forward gets impacted, gets punished because of that selfishness. 
It makes me insane that that hashtag even exists and people go, okay, let's go do these shoots and then use that hashtag because we're D bags as well. Absolutely. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's just a testament to what's going on today. And here's the thing. I believe that if there's a place that you really want to go shoot, what separates just the, you know, the, the general population of these kind of photographers with the loosest, largest air quotes from the real photographers, the, the professionals is that the professional will go to whatever lengths they have to, to secure proper permission from the, the property owner. If it's simply something that won't happen, they accept it, but they, they make sure that they're protected. They cover, they have a liability insurance to cover themselves and anyone else who's with them. And everything is done above board. What burns me, like if we take it to the workshop side of things where you have people who, and uh, my buddy, James Brandon, who's a photographer and and has led many workshops of his own, has a a fantastic story. We should have him on as a guest so he could talk about a workshop leader who had a whole bunch of students with him, ended up getting caught without a, a permit. And it was a major problem for him and his students all because you didn't do what you needed to do to get the proper permission to pay your dues and to go through the right channels to, if you want to be able to create work and make money off of it, you have to go through the right channels. And it's just, there are way too many workshop leaders who just ignore that and just kind of try to kind of skate by it through some sort of loopholes or try to sneak through it. It's not even just it. it, Well, okay. It comes down to laziness for a lot of people. And then other people are like, well, I don't want to pay the 50 or a hundred dollars. I mean, come on, don't cheap out. But it's not even just professional photographers that need to do this or should do this. It's just any photographer who takes their photography seriously to the point where you've identified a location that's nice and worthy of your time, you know, to shoot it. And you're even thinking about moving stuff around. Maybe, oh, here's an idea. Think to ask somebody if it's okay to move something because they might say it's okay to you. You know, I told the story about how I came darn close to getting robbed outside the Boise Depot, which is, you know, it's a high point of ground here in Boise where you can look down towards the Capitol and it's a beautiful site. And it's this old, like early 1900s, you know, train depot. And it's, you know, people have weddings there, people go on tours, et cetera. And it's beautiful inside. It's almost like time stopped. It's like if you went there in the early 1900s, they've got the counter where you buy the tickets, you know, for your train thing. And it's your seats, they're all wooden benches and stuff. I wouldn't for a second even think about bringing a professional, any camera in there, lighting, a model, anything without asking permission first, let alone moving anything. That's just the, the thought of that, just it would not enter my head. And yet people are doing this because they feel entitled. And it might be a generational thing. I think a lot of the younger people, not everybody, younger people just feel entitled just in general in society and they're ruining it for everyone else. And I don't see that changing. It's a societal thing. Whatever happened to like just treating people and things with respect? It just yeah. blows my mind. Yeah, I mean it's it's really bad and unfortunately, I think a big product of this has to do with the this kind of I don't know, this this instant gratification of, you know, just getting it, getting the shot and getting it on Instagram for example and just getting insta famous off of it. And that I want to segue that again. You know, we we've actually talked about this next story so it is sad, and I, you know, I never want to talk ill of the dead, but a few days ago, it was reported that three photographers, or I guess the Instagrammers or vloggers, Riker Gamble, 
Alexei Lyak and Megan Scraper died. They fell to their deaths because they plunged off of Shannon Falls in British Columbia in Canada. And so lest you in the back of your mind think, man, those, some of those names are really familiar. Uh, it should be because uh, Gamble and Lyak, they made uh, some really, really disgusting content last year. I think it was Sharky when they filmed themselves and two other members, they were walking. They clearly ignored the boardwalk and the rails that prevent you from walking onto the Grand Prismatic Spring in Yellowstone National Park. They just no big deal that this, you know, got hundreds of thousands of years of natural evolution of these springs uh, have been going on. But yeah, no big deal because I want to be able to go out there and create some stupid videos. So they ended up getting uh, fined $2,000. They had to spend a week in jail and they were banned from the U.S. public lands for five years. Unfortunately, two of them are dead. But here's the thing, Sharky, that I want to talk about is not the actual event itself, but the news article from CBC Canada. And again, we're going to link to this in the show notes. There was a passage or a little paragraph that I highlighted that I want to read and says, locals have complained that the area is being visited by people unprepared for the dangerous terrain. Those concerns have been echoed in other parts of the province by hikers and wilderness enthusiasts who are increasingly seeing their private spots invaded by tourists in search of sites that they've seen on Instagram. Don't invade my private spots. Just saying. No one wants to invade your private spots, Sharky. I promise. Again, these are the. this is the result of people who are just, all they are fixated on is getting to these places, not to experience them or to enjoy them, but to be able to capture them so they can share them on their Instagram page and show what an amazing life they live. This listen, if you go to it's I don't want to promote their website, but high on life's website, it's high on because they're Canadians. eh? and on their page. Well, first, if you go there right now, like now, there's a video at top talking about how sad they are and they have a GoFundMe campaign for those who died, et cetera, et cetera. Further down the page, they have a statement that says when this has been there a while, it says, follow your bliss. If you can, you should No. <laughs> there should be an asterisk on that. It should be not if you're taking stupid risks with your life, which they did, unfortunately, RIP, and doing stupid things like going out on the Grand Prismatic Spring, ruining things for other photographers or just people in general. Don't do it. Okay, so you and I have done things, not to pat ourselves on the back, but you and I have done things to which we've become known for, right? This show, the Petapixel Photography Podcast. Whoa, got the plug way late in this episode. I'm totally slipping now. I don't want to see anyone die, but they did some incredibly stupid things, all for the glory, all for their, I guess, business to you know be famous and make this money. Do things like we're doing. Actual work. Put in the time. And be different, but don't do these things like everyone's I oh every time I see a YouTuber, they're all trying to be like Phil DeFranco or they're trying to be like Casey Neistat. Just the way they talk and and the way they edit their videos, they're all clones of the people who are actually famous and doing this because they've done something different. But it's in that doing different that you have to stay within some guide rails. You know what I'm saying? You can't just go way, way off. And do something off the path, you know, metaphorically and otherwise, that's going to risk your life for others. I mean, look, if you fall and you somehow survive, now you're risking the life of people who have to go and get your butt out of there, the rescuers, right? So, and there's been tons of times where people have died. This is a great example. 
one of these guys fell and the two others jumped into the jumped off the cliff into the water, whatever, to try to save him. And that's why they died. Yeah. So they were trying to do something good by saving their buddy, but they also lost their lives. So it just was it worth it? No, it was not. It's like these stupid rooftoppers that, you know, take pictures of them hanging off of buildings and stuff. Absolutely. And I always say in my show, I guarantee you the moment they slipped, they weren't like, oh, yeah, I'm really going to be famous now. They were like, oh, crap, this was a really bad idea. Absolutely. Uh, it, it, it all boils down to kind of, I guess, intent. People don't necessarily want to. I don't think people really want to experience the beauty of, of nature and the outdoors anymore. I, I genuinely believe that the, the the motivation of that has been taken over by, can I get this on Instagram or an Instagram story or whatever? The problem is that with every new sensational thing that happens as humans, our instinct is, okay, what can we do to top that now? You know, especially with, with how we are on social media, I, I genuinely believe that people are, it's not so much anymore. It used to be like, Man, imagine the opportunity just to see the northern lights, you know, the aurora borealis with your own eyes just to enjoy it. And now it's like, God, you know, how I need to get this on, onto Instagram as soon as possible. And there is a, a fundamental, I don't know, cultural shift that's been happening. And it's, um, it's not something new. I'm sure that most people who are listening here are probably nodding their heads. This is not something that just happened last week. But it is something. And, you know, it also can go back to, you, you know, what you were talking about with regards to politics, where at some point something's going to have to give. And it's, we're either going to be far better or far worse because of it. I'm really hoping that, you know, we kind of learn to, we, we take steps back. You know, I actually miss, I miss the old days of blogging, Sharky, not social media, but the old days of blogging where I, you know, you spend time, you know, you curate a post. And you put it out there and maybe it's one post a week that you get out there, but it shows who you are. There's no way that you can sustain basically creativity on a social media schedule, on a social media diet. You just wear yourself too thin. And when you see what other people are doing, and this goes back to, you know, the the stuff I wrote on my Breaking the Block series. When you go back to that, you know, where you have this compulsion where you need to keep up with the Joneses, you need to keep outdoing yourself and outdoing others. That leads to, okay, well, like, you know, oh man, I'm in this beautiful plantation house and ah, that, that bench is just kind of ruining my vibe. So I'm just going to move it so I can get this better shot. And now you have this whole entire story where, you know, photographers are ruining it for everyone. So I don't know. I just, I really hope Sharky that maybe it is a generational thing, but I hope we come away from this better as creatives because I do believe, Sharky, one last thing, I do believe we are well-intentioned as photographers. I don't believe anyone, for the most part, go out there with the intent of wanting to do damage. But at some point, there needs to be a change in mindset. There's going to come a point where someone's going to think, okay, there's this bench in the way, and I can't move it because they thought to you know bolt it down. Out comes the drill. Let's drill a hole in it and place the camera through it. You know some idiot's going to do that. You know, it's just look at our 24 hour news cycle. It's the same thing with the news. There's a constant need to put out content. And so that's what people are doing. And it's just it's gotten way, way off the rails here, you know, and and people just doing the stupid thing, like, you know, taking pictures out on train tracks. People just, you know, I saw even I don't I don't know. I don't want to I don't want to dox her, but a really famous photographer just a week ago 
posted photos of her uh, daughter that she did, teenager, and it was on train tracks. And this is someone extremely well known. And you know, I thought about calling him out on it, but I'm like, nah, I don't want to do that. That's a Richard move. But still, it's like you're perpetuating these things. And I don't know, just all the look at 20 years ago, the film days. Let's just say safely, no one had you know digital cameras or not much. Let's say 25 years ago, no one had them. You would go to the Grand Canyon or I don't know, let's say maybe the Grand Tetons, right? There you go. Just sure. Just shoehorn that one in again. But, you know, OK, let's say so let's say Grand Canyon and you would go and take a picture. You might even take a selfie, you know, with your regular camera or like, you know, a point and shoot or whatever. If you could see yourself, great. If not, whatever, you would just see yourself in the reflection of the lens. And you had only one option, basically, which was to print out that photo. You know, get it printed. So only people that had access to you could see that photo unless you went ahead and get it, got it scanned and you put it online on a website somewhere. And, you know, websites only go back to like 1994 or so. So 25 years ago, you really couldn't do that. So someone had to have access to you to see that photo. Now you take a photo, you take a risk. And then you because before a handful of people were going to see the photo. So you probably didn't take a risk, but now you could put that online and there's the potential for people to share it, for it to go viral. So you might push the boundaries and that's what people are doing. And that's not going to change. I don't think it's going to, here's what it's going to take. It's going to take someone incredibly famous, taking a risk, take a photo and dying for people to rethink this. That's what it's going to take. Agreed. So I don't know. Do we put a fine point on that? Have we, are we done? We're, I think we're good. I think we're ready for uh, for the next phase of the show. <laughs> Brian, what's on your gear shelf? I've got to know. Well, and then I've got to tell you then. I mean, if you've got to know so badly. So this is uh, an item actually that <laughs> Sharky, you, you pointed out to me because it was sitting right behind me and I didn't see it. But I've been using this a lot more. It's, uh, it's a Joby Gorilla Pod. I'm sure many, many listeners here know exactly what a Joby Gorilla Pod is. But if you don't, it's an ideal solution for me. I take this with me whenever I just, I know I can't take my big tripod or even my travel tripod. I, I need to go super light, but I, I also know that I want to be able to secure my camera for a long exposure. And so it's just this, um, it's just a tripod with a ball head. It comes with its own little ball head, which is nice and it supports Arca Swiss format. So, you know, if you have like a really right stuff, L-plate or you have just any other tripod plate it will work with this but it has instead of stiff rigid legs it's kind of segmented uh, similar to kind of like i don't know like an octopus or a spider where uh, it has a bunch of different joints so you can bend the legs around you know a tree limb or you can kind of have it flex in a, a variety of ways and i have the one that is it's kind of the joby grill pod pro because it supports up to 11 pounds, which to me is great. This essentially will take my camera in any lens I currently own and the ball head won't sag and it won't tip over. So if you're kind of in a pinch and you just need something small, I highly recommend it. It's just a, it's a very capable kind of pocket tripod. Nice. Good pick. You don't want a saggy ball head no, or saggy anything if you can help yeah. it. Sharky. What, Brian? What's on your gear shelf? Oh, Brian, what's on my gear shelf is, well, it's really not on my gear shelf because I would lose it so easily. And that's the point. 
you get these with your camera these days. I, you know, it hasn't been years and years this has happened. But if you buy a new Nikon or Canon or probably even Sony, I think you get this protective hot shoe cap. It slides into where your flash would slide in. And the flash is probably not on your camera. I would say 99.9% of the time you should be using this. So my pick is the Nikon BS1 uh, hot shoe protection cap. It's $8.18, which is ridiculous because it's probably all of like two cents of materials, if that. You can get the knockoff brands. It's just plastic, right? So you can get like 20 of them for like 10 bucks or 20 bucks or so. Most people, when they get this with their camera, they toss it or it stays in the box and they can't find it or whatever. The reason why you want to use this, this has to be on your camera. And you want to put it somewhere, you know, in your pocket or whatever of your various uh, uh, camera bags. That's why you should have a bunch of them. Those contacts on your camera, those are not perfect, you know, like those have to send a signal or your well receive a signal and send a signal to and from your flash or your controller, etc. Now, if you're out in the elements and if you're out in, you know, there's a lot of humidity, etc., those will short out. You will have. I have had problems with mine in the past with my old Nikon D700, which. Levi Sim still has, still borrowed it like five months ago and still has it. Bring it, bring it home, Levi. I miss it. It's been around the world and everything. Anyhow, you want to cover that because if that shorts out, you're kind of out of luck. And so I've got a pick to go along with this. If the contacts, if all of a sudden your flash doesn't work and you suspect it's the contacts, get a product called Deoxit. I can't remember who makes it, but you spray it on a on a like a microfiber cloth and then you gently, you know, rub the contacts on your flash and also the top of your camera. And that connected uh the two together nicely again electronically when I had problems. That was otherwise going to be hundreds of dollars to fix. So use that little plastic cover and get a bunch of them. Make sure you always have them with you, especially if you're going to go somewhere where there's rain, snow, etc. You want that covered. That's not something you want exposed to the elements. That's why they give it to you. That's why they took the time to design it and put it in your box when you ordered that fancy new camera. Yeah, I mean, I ordered several for my Sony's because I take those, uh, you know, throughout when I'm using the cameras in my office to record videos, I'll usually use the hot shoe to connect um, my my monitor or something or microphone. And so I'll put those to the side. Often I just lose them. But what I will also say is that it's important that you get when you order them, make sure that they have good reviews if you're not ordering directly from the manufacturer, because I've ordered some for my Sony's where it fits. It fits fine in terms of like it goes into the hot shoe, but it doesn't make a very tight fit like it can slide out easily. So that's just something to consider. But it's one of those things, Sharky, where it's a great pick. It's not something I think many people think about. And I totally agree with you, the importance of keeping it covered, that hot shoe, because there are, especially now with these newer cameras, these aren't just like even just basic contacts. Some of them have a lot of smarts to them, a lot of circuitry that you want to protect. And if you short that out, there's a chance that your whole darn camera will not work anymore. So, you know, alternatively, also, I believe one of your earlier picks in this show's history months and months ago was a bubble level. So if you don't want just a regular generic you know, hot shoe protection cap, get a bubble level. Yep. Double duty right there. But like you said, just get one that fits. That's why, you know, personally, I'd drop the eight bucks and get the Nikon one because I know it's going to fit. So I don't know. I think this was a great show. What do you say? I, I agree. It was a lot of, a lot of meaty stuff. Definitely meaty stuff. We love the meat. No vegetarians here digitally or otherwise. So, you know, I think Brian, that you should tell everybody where they can find us and where they can find you. 
You got it, Sharky. So you can find us, and I highly recommend you go, especially for this episode, uh, to get the show notes at nonamephotoshow.com. And then we are at No Name Photo Show on the socials. My website is matias.com, M-A-T-I-A-S-H. And my socials, basically everywhere, it's at Brian Matias, B-R-I-A-N-M-A-T-I-A-S-H. Sharky, where can people find you? Before I get to where people can find me, don't forget, you can also go to Brian's Better Half's website, NicoleZ.com. She has a couple of new books, one out on Luminar and one on Photo Raw Pro 2018, whatever it's called. So, And a lot of other great stuff. So where you can find me is the Petapixel Photography Podcast, Petapixel.com slash podcast. Type in Petapixel into your favorite podcatcher, P-E-T-A-P-I-X-E-L. You can find me at LensShark.com. If you want my offer codes, get 10, 20%. Most of them are 20% off. LensShark.com slash deals. Follow me on all the socials at LensShark. We've got some great giveaways coming up. And that's about it. What do you say we clap it out? I'd like that, Sharky. Let's do it. All right, here we go. One, two. We'll fix it in post. No, we won't. Love you, brother. Love you, too. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the No Name Photo Show. Sharky and I would be thrilled if you would subscribe in whatever podcast app you're using and tell a friend. How about we do this again next episode? Yeah, let's do that. Mm -hmm.